What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest is an innovative thought leader, an industry boundary pusher, ahead of the times, co-founder of Homage Hospitality, ladies and gentlemen, Damon Lawrence. Welcome, Damon. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dan. Appreciate being on the, the podcast. Excited. Well, I'm excited to have you two here, mostly because of all the interviews that I've done. I think you've gotten more shout outs from my previous <laughs> guests than anyone else. So I'm just happy you've agreed to be here with your time. So thank you first. No, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure. Um, one other thing is as an owner and developer now, um, one of the things that I love in the, many of the conversations I have about hospitality, so many owners have never actually worked in a hotel. And what I love about your resume is you've been in the trenches for so long. So firstly, tell us how that informed where you are right now. Yeah. So my, my first real job, you know, I worked a couple of meaningless jobs, um, high school and college. My first real job was working in a hotel, actually at a Thompson hotel, working on the front desk. And that's, that's honestly how I even got into hospitality and got excited about it. Um, it was a, a new hotel that was opening in DC. Um, I was uh, on the, the opening staff, got to see so much of how that, pro that project and that property kind of came together, got to meet Jason Pomerantz and Stephen Brandman, who were the, the co-founders of that brand at the time. And yeah, I just kind of like realized like this is a whole new kind of space that I wasn't opened up to, had really didn't know much about. I feel like boutiques were even new to DC at the time. DC was a very conservative city. So we didn't have, you had, you know, St. Regis and um, Ritz Carlton and Four Seasons, but not really anything in the boutique space. So that was unique for the, for the city. And I just started to get into it more um, and excited about it. And I think working in hospitality, especially for the length of time that I did, I learned so much about the operations. And um, it obviously informs the way we will operate as operators um, and informs the way we develop uh, our brand and the, and the pipeline and how we train talent um, and what that looks like to really be, to really think about the, uh, your employees and the people that you employ first what that, and what that means. So I'm curious about a lot of things that you just said there. Mostly, how if you were had if hospitality was not on your radar at all, how did you wind up working at the Thompson Hotel? Like, how did that even come across your bow? All right, so, so like I said, first meaningful job. I was working at a gym, so I was playing football. Um, this is like senior year. I need a job after the season just to pay the bills. I get uh, a job at a gym, which is obvious. Football player, you work at a gym. I hated it. I hated waking up at five o'clock in the morning when I had class later on in the day. Um, so the flexibility of a hotel job was appealing and I just applied. I, you know, I had no 
I just needed a job. Like when you're in college and you just need a job, I was on Craigslist at the time, applying everywhere. And I was like, this, this seems cool. And then they, they asked me for an interview and I did what every college student was told to do is write that thank you letter after the interview. <laughs> so I said, I said that, and then they called me back and uh, asked me to come in. I think from what, and I still keep in contact with the, the HR staff that hired me. Um, cause I think that they took a chance on me. I had no experience. They saw something in me and it, it totally transformed my life. So I, I definitely keep in contact with them, but I think it was like, I had the personality that fit. Right. Um, I was very talkative to everyone. I got to know everyone while I was sitting there and waiting in the waiting room. Um, I was excited about the opportunity. I mean, as soon as I walked in, the HR director handed me a hard hat because there was still, still a construction site. And I was just like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, it was by chance. I'm thankful to, to uh, the team there for taking a chance on me. And then and I ended up working out. You say they saw something different in you. What do you think they saw in you? I think it was a personality. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but I had a personality that was perfect for uh, a role in hospitality. Um, very outgoing. I, I'm naturally hospitable in nature. I, I love having people over. I love to entertain. I love to meet new people. Um, I'm the person that will talk to random strangers and spark conversation. And I think that that's what they saw in me. Uh, at the time, because I was doing that in the in the office, I wanted to know everybody. Like, what do you do? Like, you know, uh, and how long have you been working in this industry? Like, how long have you been working here? Do you like it? You know. Um, so I was asking all those questions, and I think that that's what stuck out to them. And in going going with that train of thought and thinking about what they saw different in you—that you're outgoing, you're curious. Um, and then you started in hospitality. So you've been doing it now. You've you're you're on the totally different side. But how does how has that informed your definition of of hospitality? Seeing the whole experience. Yeah, I mean that's a really good question. I think right now we obviously have a labor shortage in our in our industry, right? Um, and I know why we have that labor shortage in our industry. Um, Sometimes I've worked in different experiences and sometimes it's just not as um, employee centric of an industry at all. I think, you know, most times employees are expendable. We work long hours. You're dealing with people. Um, you're also on the heels of a pandemic where you didn't have to deal with people for such a long time. And now you have to be back in people's faces all over again. And that's just stressful. I mean, I've realized that even going back to some of these hotel conferences, how stressful it is to be back in front of hundreds of people a day. Um, so I think that in, in understanding the different facets, and I mind you, I've done every single job just about in, in hospitality. I worked in sales and marketing. I worked in housekeeping. I worked in the front desk. I worked in food and beverage. The only thing I wasn't was an actual GM. I was an assistant GM at a property, but never actually got to be a GM, um, mainly because I didn't want to take the time. I feel like there's just so much of a time um, commitment to being a GM, especially in some of the hotels that I worked at. But in understanding what everyone goes through, the housekeepers, um, your bellmen, your sales and marketing team, it informs the way I think about the industry and how 
what's best to move us forward. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people that have, um, that think they have solutions, but they've never been close enough to the problem. I, I love that you've seen all facets, except being a GM, but what, I think you've seen everything that even you could take that leap to be a GM right. if you wanted right. to. I, right. So how do you define hospitality after seeing all of those facets? Yeah, you know, hospitality really is a feeling. Um, and what, what I've always noticed, um, whether it's me traveling or me working in the space, how do you make somebody feel when they enter into your space or a space that you have dominion over? Um, and just because you are a hospitality brand doesn't mean that you sue or create a, hospi a hospitable experience. So hospitality really is how you make people feel, um, whether they're dining at your restaurant or dining at your home. Um, and I think, like, like I said before, understanding what everyone goes through um, and making sure that you can put people in the best position to succeed creates that hospitality experience that you want to provide to your consumers. Yeah. And then, so for the brand that you've developed with homage, how do you look to make people feel experiencing homage? Yeah, I think that the way I think about hospitality and from the homage landscape and vision and view is a good example is Howard's homecoming, right? Um, it is a homecoming for people that went to Howard University, a university I think is the best university in the world, um, but it, it is very inclusive. Anybody is welcome. Um, you're going to have a good time. There's never any riffraff. You know, you're just going to have a really fun, enjoyable experience. Um, I mean, those are similar to the cookouts, right? You go to the cookout. Yeah, you're invited to the cookout. You get a plate. Everybody who, who comes gets a plate. Um, it's a, a way of making you feel good. The music that's played. Um, the dances, um, the full experience of what that looks like and what that means that, that you could provide an experience that's extremely inclusive and allows everyone to be a part, but you, you highlight and celebrate the things that culturally, um, are significant to you. And it, it looks different. It looks different. If you go to, uh, you, the grandma's cookout in LA versus if you go in Memphis, Tennessee, but the feeling is the same. The hospitality is the same. You grew up in California, correct? Yeah, I grew up in California, LA. So how did how, in LA? How did you choose Howard? Like that's a big trip all the way across the country. Yeah, I mean, you want the you want the, the truth. The truth. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> I want. I want. All right, so, all right. So I transferred to Howard. So I actually got a football scholarship in Louisiana, the University of Louisiana Lafayette. I was playing there for two years. Uh, was there when Katrina hit. And, and after Katrina, another hurricane that people don't really talk about was Rita. And Rita hit us kind of directly. And then after that, when I looked at the, the economy of the state of Louisiana and me graduating and what my degree was going to value, I was like, I need to get out of here. Um, ironically, at the same time, I had a coach at my school who was going to be a coach at Howard University. And I was already looking at a couple of HBCUs on the, on the East Coast. This is what made the decision. So in Louisiana, 
you know, we really had effectively two spring breaks because you get all of Mardi Gras week off. And then you have your other spring break, like in March or April, right? To, rec- to so recover Mardi- from Mardi Gras. Right. Right. <laughs> so I felt like Mardi Gras break is perfect. It was in February. It was a perfect time for me to travel and, and take a look at some of these schools. So I left, met my mom in D.C. And we're looking at schools. I went to Howard University. There was a group of like 15 women, drop dead gorgeous, all different shapes, sizes, colors, just beautiful. And I get a little bit closer. They're all speaking fluent French. And I was blown away. I mean, drop dead gorgeous. It was like Halle Berry's in the front you know, Paula Patton's in the back. You know, it was just a sprinkling of all these different women. I was like, this is a crazy experience. And I looked to my mom and she already knew. I was like, oh yeah, this is this is the school I'm going to. Because the 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 thing that was so unique about Howard is it is a HBCU, historically black uh, university, is extremely diverse. Um, and we we often think of, you know, Black people as being this monolith, but there's so many different variations to to who we are and what we are. And there was no better experience than to, to experience that and seeing people from all over, all over the world, uh, the African diaspora converge in one space in the nation's capital, right? And so uh, I just thought that was just going to be a great experience. And I wanted to be a lawyer too, right? So... I, I feel like, hey, D.C., lawyer, Howard, makes sense. And now you're doing hotels. I know. <laughs> so uh, actually going back and contrasting uh, Louisiana State uh, Lafayette with Howard, because when you talked about homage, and I called it homage before, that's just my French, know nothing of French, but it just sounds French, but for uh, homage, Um you said that you wanted the hospitality that you're delivering to be like a, a homecoming from Howard or a party. It's inclusive. It's really fun. There's dancing. Like you, you, you said all these things, you painted a great picture for me. Contrast the homecoming at Louisiana state from Howard. And how did that inform your path to where you are now? Yeah, I think, um, at, at the university of Louisiana, Lafayette, it was, there was two different there's two different universities within the university, right? Um, and it wasn't that much diversity. It was either, it was black and it was white. And I was, that was pretty much it. And from, from everything that we did, it was very much segregated and not, not purposely, but like there's the white club and then there's the black club and there's the white parties that happened during uh, homecoming. There's the black parties that happened during homecoming. Um, I think the difference is when you're at a university like Howard University, everybody's black. So there's no differentiation between what you do. And then you're also in a large market like Washington, DC, where, I mean, DC might be one of the most diverse cities in America, just just given the embassies, just given like, you know, everyone that has to travel in and out of DC, whether for work um, or some government related um, entity, all the nonprofits that exist and are headquartered there. You're just in this huge melting pot, but then at a university where there's, there's no differentiation because you all kind of are 
are in the same pot. And I think that that was what was interesting and appealing, right? There, there will never be a situation in life where that would be the case, <laughs> you know, so uh, especially in America. But then as far as that experience and, and there, you saying that there never will be an experience like that in America, is that in helping inform what you're trying to do at, at Homage? Yeah, to give people a little bit of a taste of what that experience is like. Um, I think, man, there, I wish everyone could experience a Howard Clement. I really do. It is, it is a beautiful sight to see, to see that many people come together um, with one common goal in mind is to celebrate their, their university and to see the love that automatically shown. And that love just extends outward, whether you are at the university or not. Like all of the alumni, we just, we, we just love and appreciate each other. You know, do you, do you know somebody else as a Howard grad? Automatically. And it definitely informs how I want Homage to feel. I want, I want Homage to have that same feeling, right? No matter what, no matter where, what city you're in, um, you're experiencing something that's, that's true, that's local, uh, a, a welcoming experience. And there, it, it builds almost a cult following where there's an appreciation and a love for the brand, no matter where you are. So one statement and one idea for me. The statement is, it upsets me to hear you say that you think that that's not possible in America at, at some point in the future. Like, do you really think it will never happen? I see, I envision this Star Trek future where that does happen, but like, tell me why you think it won't. No, the reason, what, what I meant by that, let me rephrase, because what I meant by it not happening is there's not a scenario where you're in a, a space and, and nor do I really think that there should be, but there's not never a scenario where you're in a space and everybody around you has the same shared experience, right? That is what, that is the beauty of even going to a school like that is for four years, you don't have the code switch. For four years in your life, you don't have to, to fake the funk at all. You could be your authentic self. You could find out what, who you are. Like, what is your authenticity, right? What does that look like when you're separated from, really from whiteness, right? And you get to really just truly be who you are. And race is actually not an issue, right? It's not, it's not something that you have to face every single day for four years of your life, four very transformative years of your life. Um, and how does that give you the confidence to move forward? I think that even when you start to talk about Howard, people know Howard University, they know uh, various graduates, whether it's Puff Daddy or whoever else you, you want to think, Chadwick Roseman. I think what is not talked about is that four years and the confidence that it just gives you as your, your sole independent person to go out into the world and create the things that you want to create. And that, that gap of time, that's what you, you'll never experience again. Understood. Okay, good. Because I, I was a little disheartened because I feel like of all the things that so many of us are pushing for, like, I think we want to get to that place where we can be in a place where there's no code switching, where we can be in a place where everyone's comfortable. Obviously we have a lot of work to do, a, a tremendous right. amount of work. <laughs> like, um, so I'm glad you clarified that on the, on the question or the idea part I had was regarding homecoming, it's usually in the fall, right? It's October, November, somewhere in there. Right. 
So typically, uh, Independent Lodging Congress always does like a confab or a gathering of some kind in the fall. They've pushed this year's Miami one, but oftentimes in D.C. Maybe we could talk about doing one in D.C. at that time, and then we can like go check out a party or like kind of get involved in the the homage kind of way or homage uh, kind of way. That would be that would be extremely fun. I don't even think you all are ready for how much fun you would have. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm always ready for fun. So I, I think we'll bring that we'll bring that up with the powers that be. Right. I actually, you know, one of the things that I had talked about and um, as as it relates to ILC, don't want to get too much on a tangent, but just that, right? Um, the work that I'm doing with Howard University, building out their hospitality program, um, the Arnie Swanson Foundation. Um, the Marriott Foundation donating $20 million for this project um, and, and working in tandem with Marriott to create uh, a hospitality program at Howard University that's going to be one of the best in the nation. And I think it would be fun to get ILC in the mix because I would love for more young students of color to understand all of the opportunities. And a lot of that is in the, the independent uh, lodging space that's available to them. I didn't even realize you were doing that at Howard University. How did I miss that? So I, I want you to tell me more about that. Yeah. So uh, this last fall, um, after after Arnie Swanson's, uh, actually no, not even this fall. I think I think he, man, this year has been a crazy. Yeah, he passed year. out in the spring, I believe. Yeah, the spring. So they had announced that they were going to do this in the fall. He passed away in the spring, and then Marriott decided to actually name the donation in his behalf. It was something that he was really passionate about, um, and he wanted to see happen. And so they, they actually made the donation on his behalf. And the school will actually be the artist, Arnie Swanson uh, School for Hospitality at Howard University. And where I got involved is... Um, you know, obviously my first, some of my first gigs were working right there in DC. I uh, went to Howard, I worked for Marriott for a long period of time. Um, I had the former uh, CEO of Design Hotels and CFO of Marriott uh, on my board. And so he made the call and, and made sure that I was a very integral part of what that program build out looks like. And I'm probably the youngest member um, that's an owner developer on the, on that team. Um, but I'm super excited about it. I think we're going to do some very innovative things that get people extremely excited. Um, young people are extremely excited about this awesome industry that we're in. I think we are in an incredible industry and I'm really passionate about creating more internships within this industry. And I right. think now is the most I don't know, the most opportunistic time to get involved because like we're in this nadir, everything is so wanted. The, the ability to advance in this incredible industry um, has never, I think, been better than where we are now. If you were to paint the best possible outcome for this hospitality program, what does it look like? Oh man, I think that there's room for 10 more homage-like uh, <laughs> brands. I think that there's... Um, We've seen so many brands pop up and get bought and exchange hands. I think that there's just so much room uh, for more diversity when it comes to it. Um, if, if you were to Google black-owned hotel brand, I think my name is probably going to pop up 90% of the time. 
And I think that that needs to change. I would love to see more owners, more developers. Um, I would love to see the Alice conference look very different in the next couple of years. Some of these lodging and investment conferences look just, just look different over the next 10 to 20 years um, with more people of color uh, being represented in the space. And um, so I, I think I'm, I'm super excited around what the program can do and how can we make working in hospitality sexy again, um, make it fun again, and get people really genuinely excited about what it looks like and the perks that come along with it because it's, it's super fun. It's interesting when you talk about some of the ownership type conferences, I'm mostly on the design furnishing side and you go to those and yeah, we have work to do, but you see it, it's a pretty broad palette of types of people who are there. Right. But going to these ownership conferences, it's like, I'm shocked if I see a woman, first of all. Right. And mostly it's all dudes, white dudes in suits. And I don't know, I like the design and furnishing parties a little bit better. Um, <laughs> but I was also, I'm also shocked, like to hear as far as black owned, one of the challenges that I've seen as far as that diverse palette of people working in our industry on the, mostly on the design and, um, and the furnishings part where it is more diverse than the ownership side. However, if you really ask me to come up with a list of black owned design firms, architecture firms, design firms, different hospitality consultants. There are a couple, but there's really not that many. And it's very, it was very shocking to me. Yeah, there, there really is not that many. I mean, I know of about four. Um, I, can, I can think of up the top of my head. Um, determined by design. Um, obviously, Kia Weatherspoon. And um, there's, a, there's a couple others, but there's really not that many. I think we're across the board, when you look at diversity, we're lacking in a lot of the decision-making roles. Um, when you look at our, our, at our industry as a whole, it's extremely diverse, right? But most of that diversity, if you look at a, at a chart, is sitting, sitting at the very bottom, right? Um, a lot of the low entry, you know, hourly jobs are, which have the most diversity. Uh, the further you go up that totem pole uh, and into the C-suite, it dwindles and dwindles and it's, it's actually abysmal. Um, and so I, I think that that's what I would like to change is um, what that looks like across the board uh, and the roles, what type of roles are we filling and, and how do we change the industry all the way across? I mean, it's like from restaurants, resorts, shoot, even the, the, the if you look at the, um, the hierarchy at Airbnb, I mean, just across the board of all of hospitality, we could use more diversity for sure. Okay. It's interesting how you, you know, you, you've touched on things that you love about ILC and I, I won't just limit it to them, but one of the things that I've loved about ILC is that at these events, they often will, these conversations will come up and where, where you can say that you want to change how it looks somewhere out in the future. One of the ways that I found it is by having friends at these events, and then we can have these conversations and make mistakes and say the wrong thing. And, but it's okay because we're like fumbling through to try and figure out how we can get there. So how do you help facilitate, or what are some of the ways that you're helping facilitate these conversations? 
Yeah, I try and make myself available to be involved in all of them, right? Um, even how I even got involved with IOC was was on stage at LA um, on a diversity panel. And I said, you know, I appreciate being here, but isn't it crazy that all the diversity on every panel is on this diversity panel, right? Um, and what I appreciate about IOC and, and Andrew and the team is like, they listen to that. And they and they try to make changes and they and they made the panels from that point on just diverse in general, right? Um, and I even had a call earlier today, a DEI conversation with them. And so, in making myself available, making sure that I talk about it as much as possible, um, that I keep it in the forefront is sometimes it's exhausting, you know, to continue to talk about it because it the issue. Sometimes I wonder if if I'm actually gaming anything by continuing to talk about it or if i just hearing myself speak about the natural issues that we face um and are other people actually taking it seriously but i think that i have an onus to continue to talk about the struggles that we have in our industry and how i would love to see it change and how it really would benefit everyone involved if things changed right i think that's the beauty of it um those parties would just be so much more fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, and another interesting thing that you, you mentioned is this idea of code switching, right? So a lot of people right. don't get what that is. And to be honest, I have my, a hard time getting my head around it. But as you're talking about having these conversations, is it worth your while and all this, like walk us through the whole code switching thing, because it's, it's really like a fucked up mind game. And to keep track of everything that way, it just makes all these conversations and where we all want to go to that future, it makes it that much part more difficult. Yeah, I think it's just it's the, the natural reality of living in a world that's just dominated by, by whiteness. I think I, I don't even think about it that much. Like every time you answer the phone, depending on who is calling on the other end, there's a different voice that you have, right? Um, it, it, it could even be even at work. There's a different telephone voice that people people of color might have when they're talking on the phone versus that they're just talking to their friends. Um, and and maybe we all do it. I don't know. I just know that we do it, and it's a far extreme. <laughs> there's a there's a huge difference, and you can tell. I just remember growing up and knowing when my mom was talking to her friends and when it was like business related call when she was trying to get something done, there's a very clear distinction between her voice um, and what that looked like. Well, man, my mom and my dad. Um, and that that's that's a learned behavior over time. You realize if you want to get stuff done, you, you, you have to switch it up. And I think the, the crazy part about that is it's been reinforced over and over and over again in the way things either happen or don't happen two people of color, right? Um, and we've, we've all heard the stories about properties getting appraised undervalued because it's a, a Black family owns it versus a white family next door. Um, and so the need to code switch really just for survival and to make sure that you get the right things um, or the things you deserve has been something that we just always had to do. So it's, it's, sometimes I don't think about it as much. You don't think about it until you don't have to do it. Yeah. Right. Well, it's it's interesting also because when I asked you about homage and where you saw it and where it, 
how Howard informed that. When you were talking about Howard, you really lit up. You're like, I, help me find my authentic self. Right. And I find that like this, this code switching, like it's, it's taking you out of your authentic self. Yeah, that's real. I, you know, what's interesting, and this is funny to even to say, but I get maybe two emails a day of people across the industry that want to work for me, right? That have either Googled, commented, and, and found some article and will just unsolicitedly just send their, e their, their resume via email and say, man, if there's ever an opportunity, I would just love to work for your brand. And I think that that is it. I, I don't know if many, many people in hospitality have ever, it's a dream to be able to work in a property and not have to go switch. To be able to bring your authentic self to work and that's okay. And that's what, that's what you're actually celebrated for. That's what the brand is celebrated for. That you can literally just be yourself, still provide the same level of service, same level of hospitality, but some of the language, some of the ways that we communicate, some of the ways that we dap each other, all those things are just okay, right? Um, and I think, yeah, it can be exhausting. And I think that's, that's part of the issue that we see as far as the labor shortage. Like imagine dealing with everything you had to deal with this last year. And when I go to work, I have to act every day. <laughs> you know, I have to fake the funk every single day on top of a raging pandemic. I don't know who's going to pick up my child from school today because there's an outbreak and, or, you know, I don't know. Like there's so many things to worry about. That's the last thing that people want to worry about. Um, and how does that change? if you just allow people to be themselves. And in all of your experience in hospitality and as you're building your company, like what, what's really holding, no, that's not the right way. It's really, I guess, where have you seen a place aside from Howard University homecoming where you can be your authentic self all the time. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think for us, especially as it relates to hospitality, we do have restaurants, we do have bars, we do have lounges. And then, you know, some cities have more than others. Um, you see there's a huge black population in, in Atlanta. Huge. There's, it's still a, a fairly large black population in DC. I think we seek out and we have sought out um, more opportunities to, to eat at Black-owned restaurants and to eat at Black-owned bars and spots, uh, especially over the last year or so. There's been a, a, a serious effort to do so, um, to have that experience. I think most of the times what, we, what we've done is we'll curate those experiences for ourselves, right? We'll get groups together. And even if it's not a space that is inclusive, we'll create that inclusivity amongst ourselves. Um, and so that, that's what I've seen my friends do, uh, especially in a city like LA where you just don't have that many options um, like some other cities do. But man, we will, we, will, we will create, we will curate and create the vibe for ourselves to have that experience. And 
thinking about the, as an agent of change within our industry, mm -hmm. right. And the work that you are doing on the hospital, hospitality, Dis uh, diversity action committee or HDAC, like, yeah. how are you seeing, I know you all have your day jobs and everything else, but how, what kind of work are you doing in that to help curate these authentic experiences? That's a good question. I mean, I think it's been a challenge because of, uh, because of COVID, of course, but even when we, for HD Expo, you know, we, we curated a, a series of conversations, um, all related to diversity, um, LGBTQ, um, women in the workspace, um, some of the struggles between, you know, even Asian Americans ex experience, um, we, we really had a, a real good gamut of conversations that people enjoyed and we did it in a barbershop setting. We curated a space that looked like a barbershop because that's the, the place was uh, so many of these authentic conversations happen in general anyway. Um, and I think we're going to look to do more things like that. I think the last year, 2020, after the, the George Floyd murder and protests, obviously there was so much attention that was brought to DEI. But what happens when that fades? What happens when those all those uh, monetary commitments are, are forgotten about? And in the world that we live in, things are things change so fast. And one day it's this, the next day it's something else. How do we keep that conversation going and keep pushing the, the ball forward? And I think it's just literally keeping the conversation going. It is uh, using any opportunity that we have to talk about it until we just literally sound like a broken record and stuff starts to change. Um, that's the only way. And you know what? I might not, I might be Moses. I might not be the one to see us to the promised land. You know what I'm saying? It might be somebody else. I might not be able to see it all the way through. However, I can get, I could get the ball rolling, you know, and, and push us in the right direction. And maybe part the Red Sea to keep the ball <laughs> rolling. <laughs> right. Um, so, okay, let's, aside from the pandemic, aside from all the conversations about diversity that we're having right now and that are going on right now, what's keeping you up at night as we move forward? It, it really is labor. It really is labor. Labor is the thing that keeps me up at night. How do we get, how do we find Damon when he was 19, 20? How do we find a whole bunch of, of people like that, like that right? Um, excited about the opportunity to work in a hotel. Um, and, and how do we change the work environment um, that makes it more appealing for people wanting to work in this space. Uh, I, I think it's a super fun industry to get into. I, I loved, I loved, honestly, out of all the jobs that I had, I really loved working on the front, at the front desk. That was like the most fun interaction. Um, I, what did I you love about it? it? So why did you love working at the front desk so much? It was, you know, you get into this interesting rhythm where you just, you just know people you know, you're seeing repeat guests come back. You're welcoming them back. It's it's just a you're feeling good. The day goes by quicker. Um, you get you get to sympathize and empathize with people. 
You get to change people's day with an upgrade. You get to, you have the, you have the most flexibility, right? You, you know the inventory. You're not worried about the same thing that sales is worried about. You're not worried about the same things that, that food and beverage is worried about. You have the most flexibility to, really, to alter the way people feel. And I think that was the, the funnest part about it. Um, and meeting different people every day was, and, and no two days are alike. I think that was another fun aspect of it. You um, said something earlier about how, when you were describing the type of person you are, you're like, I, I love talking to random people on the street. And it's funny, we moved out of New York City in the pandemic and I was talking to my daughter who's nine and she's like, dad, you know what I miss the most about New York City? I said, what? She's like, I used to love walking with you and you would just talk to any random person on the street. And I miss, I, I, I miss you doing that. But I kind of feel like as you think about finding more Damons, maybe that's, you know, you think about recruiting for those jobs. It's like, do you enjoy talking to strangers? Right. Maybe right. that's how we find another Damon. Right. I think that that is a critical component to it. Um, and just being outgoing. I think all of them, when I remember working at the Thompson property, my first hotel, everybody that I worked with was like that. It was, it was interesting. And I think 80% of us were born within the same two weeks of each other, which was also very interesting. Wow. <laughs> we were all Gemini's. It was like the, the worst scheduling ever trying to schedule people off because we were all born within two weeks of each other. You also mentioned labor shortage a couple of times at, at the very beginning of our conversation, you, you said, oh, this labor shortage. And I know why, why is it happening in your mind and how do we solve it? Yeah. I mean, I touched on it briefly. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine going to work every day in the middle of a pandemic, like with, with people with their varying opinions, whether they're going to wear a mask or not wear a mask right? Coughing at the front desk, touching the same pen that you just handed them. You know, um, I can only imagine the, the stresses and the things that people have to think about as they work in it today. And it, it really is the same stresses that we thought about before, just compounded because there's life stress, right? There's other things that are happening in your life that are beyond your control. And you can't go to happy hour. There was a period in time where you couldn't go to happy hour to just like get it all out with your coworkers. Um, and what does that look like? There's just so many other things to, to consider and to think about in a, uh, in an industry where we were already stressed, right? Um, I think developers and, and owners and operators are, are trying to find, trying to squeeze blood out of a turnip. Um, so there was already labor reductions in, in trying to get the same productivity. And then now you're, you're throwing a whole lot more on top of people. And it's just tough. It's just tough. That's correct. Yeah, I think it's stress. a, I think again, a multifaceted, I feel like there's a recruiting solution. So it's from internships and younger. Um, mm -hmm. I think that there's also an immigration component. Like we just can't find people to work. Like how do we get more people in here that want to work in these jobs? Right. I, um, but really, I think it's opening the eyes to the young people about what a fantastic industry that we're in and just giving them that shot. I agree. I agree. 
because it is it is an amazing industry. Um, and most people don't even think about it. Like uh, the other thing about Damon back then is I had no clue that this is what I was going to do. I was going to be a lawyer. If it wasn't for them taking a chance on me, I would have been Esquire right now. So um, opening people up to the opportunity and doing so even at a younger age uh, is important. You know, I went to a a high school that had a business and finance academy attached to it. So I knew I was going to do something in business. I didn't know what that looked like. I thought maybe from a real estate law perspective, I would I would do some some cool stuff, but I had no clue. But I was opened up to the world of business. I was CEO of my high school's business in, in high school, right? So um, I think if there were more, even more opportunities to do something like that on a younger scale, what does that look like? And, and then I think who knew that the kid playing with logos or Legos um, could create their own world, right? That they could, they could literally go from that to like you create buildings, like you are the architect of spaces. Um, you just don't know those things because it's not open. It's not opened up to you. And also, when you spoke of being the front desk manager and how you could just brighten someone's day or make a an impact, it's amazing how those small impacts, like a butterfly flapping its wing somewhere over the Atlantic, can turn into a hurricane, and you don't even know what those outcomes are. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the fun part. You know, especially working at um, the Ritz Carlton, where you had so much at your disposal to to brighten up people's day. Um, you know, I remember working through some crazy times, working through Sandy, working through you know people. I remember a, a guest that came in and had lost everything, right? And she just was like, had to go back to work to travel again. She came to the front desk, and I sent something up to the room. I can't I can't remember what it was. She came back down. She gave me a hug. She cried in my shoulder and just thanked me profusely. And it was such a small gesture, but just the fact that somebody listened, took notice, and then took action. Um, and I think that, that in that in that order, if we listen, take notice, and take action, and, and that could be across the board, I think we could change a lot of the things that are the ills in our in our industry. I, I'm wondering, has anyone asked people, I would love to see a panel, right? Of people that have left the industry. Why did you leave? What did you not like about it? We have talked about like all the issues. We haven't even heard it from them yet. Like, why, why, why did you leave? Why did you leave after 20 years? Decide to jump ship and, and enter a new industry. Why now? Right. And that would be it would be interesting to hear from them and then we can make moves and, and adapt from there. You said we can all listen, take notice and take action in a hotel. I think society at large could benefit from that. Right. What's interesting about hospitality is we can listen, we can take notice, we can take action and have a small immediate out outcome. Right. Right. How did you become such a good listener? Huh. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, uh, I've had some very interesting instances in my life that if I didn't listen, it could have cost me my life. 
right? And I think that that changes the way you listen. And I'll give you a brief example. Um, crazy example. I don't know how much time we have, but I got a crazy example. I'm in a car with my mom. Um, we're, I'm, I'm five years old. We are dropping my grandfather off at a corner store to get cigarettes. He smoked at the time. He was alive. And he was going to walk. My mom was like, nah, don't want you to walk. I'll drop you off. And then I'll bring you back. And then we'll go home. He gets out the car. He goes in. We're, this is a, a, a corner store that's sitting on a actual corner, right? So it has the corner of the lot, parking lot, right in front of the store. A car comes in from one side, opens fire on the car. My mom sees it out the, out the back of her, out the, out the back window, out the corner of her eye. She yells for me to duck, right? They spray 40 rounds into the car, okay? My mom is shot two times in her leg. My baby sister who's sitting in her car seat right next to me is shot once in her leg. And obviously because she's in the car seat, she couldn't, there's nothing that she could do. She was too young to even do anything anyway. She was six months at the time. If I wouldn't have ducked, if I wouldn't have listened, if I would have hesitated, if I would have asked why, I wouldn't be here, right? And I think that those, there's, there's, and that's like obviously super extreme, but that's shaped. To happen at five years old, I remember every moment that that, that happened. Um, it just shaped the way that I think about the world, the way I think about opportunity, the way I think about life, right? And how fragile it is and how I, just for no reason at all, I could not be here. Um, and, and how just that level of obedience right? And listening and paying attention really could have saved my life. And so I think reflecting on that, because I think about that a lot. Yeah, I love listening to people and hear, truly hearing them, because sometimes they'll say it, and sometimes it's what they don't say. I think we can all become better listeners, no matter what, no matter how good we are, we can always become better. I think our industry, whether you're serving whether you're cleaning a room, whether you're just in a hotel acting as a, a maitre d' or front desk, we all practice listening better. And it's very transferable to everything. And I feel like if we can really listen, we can diffuse so much. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we, can, we can talk about this all day. There, there's even on the the vaccine, anti-vaccine, I have very interesting views on it. And I think that if we, when we sit down and we actually listen to each other, there's just so much that we can glean and we can actually understand each side. And I, that, I think that's across the board. Um, it requires us to really be, to listen. And then also think about people's past experiences and how that, that shapes how they view the world, right? Um, so yeah. Listening is, you, is extremely important. Something that you said really resonated with me. You said you're good at that. And I think the better listeners that we become, we can also hear what's unsaid. And we don't have to pull everything out. But by knowing that something's unsaid, we also know that there's an issue there. And we can navigate that however we choose. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that's across the board. That's in, that's in every relationship. 
That is, uh, as, you, as you're dealing with guests, as you're dealing with employees, as you're dealing with bosses um, and superiors, just, just actively listening is, is extremely important and understanding. So as we started that as like, what's keeping you up at night, as you think of the future, this program you're doing it, um, at Howard from HDAC, from homage to everything that you have going on, what's exciting you most about the future? And as I'm listening to you, I'm realizing why the H key on my, uh, on my keyboard doesn't work because everything, everything starts with an H so I don't involved with, um, what am I, what am I excited about? Uh, that, that is the question, right? What am I excited about? Yeah. What's most exciting you about the future? Um, I think that we actually are making changes, you know, for a while, I thought that this was going to be a lot of lip service and it wasn't going to be real. Um, but I'm seeing that slowly, but surely things are changing, you know, even gradually at um, some of the HD hospitality design stuff that has happened over the last couple of years, like you just start to see more and more people. I'm starting to see like the crowd get a little bit more colorful, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, and it's, it's exciting to see, especially as we're starting to get back into the groove of uh, um, doing conferences again. And I, I think the small incremental changes as people are talking about it more, um, and shout out to Bashar, Wally, shout out to, to Dita Grindin, shout outs to uh, Aaron Anderson, um, all people who, shout out to Stacey, uh, she's making around, right? Um, as she's, you know, helped us get the word out as much as possible. I mean, there's just so many people that have made it a point to talk about the needs and, and why diversity matters. And they've kind of always been talking about it, they just now are are more emboldened to say to do more and to say more. Um, I think it's a difference. I think they're yeah they're talking about it, but they're also doing stuff. You guys, every right. we're all doing things about it, right? Right. And it's right. these little drops that turn into a waterfall. Exactly. Exactly. So, Damon, if you could go back to your. A 19 or 20 year old self when you transferred from University of Louisiana Lafayette to Howard and you as you now walk up to yourself walking in there with your your gym bag into the into the locker room or whatever what advice would you give your 20 year old self um, knowing yeah, what you know now I would have started earlier <laughs> <laughs> what do you tell me more about like what do you mean I would have started earlier I think that um there's such a huge transition from working in operations to owning and operating. Um, I mean, that, that learning curve literally took me five years to learn. And if I would have known that this is, if I would have known sooner that this is what I wanted to do, there's different things that I would have done to learn more about development. Um, and I think that's, that's a critical component um, for most people just to learn, even if you don't do anything with that information. Under the understanding, just as much as I feel that owners and operators should understand what the people in operations actually do, 
I feel like people in operations should understand how things are owned, operated, and developed. And if there's, if there's that ability and that synergy between the two, where you're not left in the dark, you understand how things work, you understand your value and, and how that kind of keeps the machine going. Uh, I think that there's tremendous value in just the knowledge. And so I would have taken time earlier to get a fuller understanding of development. Um, yeah, and I wouldn't, I would have, would have told myself, man, youth is wasted on the young. Like start ASAP. <laughs> Probably would have got Forbes 30 under 30, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you go for 40 under 40. And you know, right. look, you're curious, we're all learning. And um, I think one of the things that is attracting me to you is your curiosity and your, your desire to change so many things, right? I th think all of us curious people that like talking to the random dude on the street, I think we have a lot to learn. I think we have a lot to offer. And I'll also say it's never too late. I agree. I agree. It's never too late. And there, there's life experience that happens that you can't account for, you know? Um, and so even as I think back on my journey, realistically, um, it probably happened at the perfect time. Yeah. Yeah. And there's ways to keep going. So, and we, I, I can take that conversation with you offline. Um, but I do want to just say, this has been incredible. Now I really want to push ILC to <laughs> do an event in DC somewhere adjacent to Howard homecoming, because I think that would be really awesome. Right. It would be fun. It would be super fun. Um, so Damon, uh, we'll put this in the notes, but just let us know how people can connect with you. Yeah. So business Instagram and Twitter, stay homage at stay homage. And then uh, my personal is hospitality, H-A-U-S, hospitality. <laughs> and that's across every platform, uh, LinkedIn included as well. So, yeah. Wonderful. Um, so, Damon, I just want to say thank you so much for your valuable time. I appreciate it so much. Oh, thank you, Dan. I mean, this was a pleasure. You talked about some interesting stuff. This was what I appreciate about you and this podcast is we went, we went, we veered left in a very interesting way. It wasn't, it wasn't the typical questions that I'm always asked. And I always appreciate that. I really do. Well, I, I appreciate you and I'm grateful for you. Um, and thank you also to our listeners. I hope this talk has evolved your I don't know, your view on how to deliver hospitality, what hospitality means to so many different people and how we can all care for each other better on our journeys. So if this has changed your opinion or helped you learn something, please share this podcast with a friend. And thank you, everyone. And we will see you next time.